All right. Next. You're not going to give uh, an explanation? I, I thought this I thought this is rapid style. fire, oh, Pat. Okay, sorry. It's rapid fire. Rapid fire. Tunde, rapid fire. Andrew Harris. Well, I didn't know it was going to be that rapid fire. You said you said <laughs> rapid fire, so then I go rapid you fire. Rapid and then fire. Oh, that's too rapid. All right, friends, the 107th Grey Cup is officially here as our final CFL Fantasy Podcast presented by Leo Vegas is underway. It is the Grey Cup edition of our CFL Fantasy Podcast, cflfantasy.tsn.ca. Get yourself plopped down in that GM chair and get your team ready. You've only got two teams to choose from. You've only got one game to choose from. This is where you really have to get creative if you want to have a chance of winning the week. So as we get set for the 107th Grey Cup and as we get set to try and give you some advice about the most unique week in fantasy football period, let's welcome in Jeff Creever. Let's welcome in Hannah Nordman. My name is Pat Stein. Guys, the 107th Grey Cup is officially here. I'm plopped in my GM chair right now. And it is, it is. I don't know, I'd like to say it's comfortable, but I'm feeling a little uneasy <laughs> after a pretty tough week. I, I think uh, the fans are a little unhappy with me. I'm, I'm sweating for my job. I don't know about you guys, but this playoff fantasy has been tough. There really haven't been a lot of points to go around, have there? No, I feel less like uh, a Kyle Walters... Uh, or or a Drew Alamang or or Sean Burke, uh, and I feel more like I don't know uh, a Kyle Dubas maybe who's who's another GM in the hot seat I don't know, um, but the heat's on and it it gets harder and harder, especially with it being Great Cup week because we don't have a ton of people to choose from this week. I don't know. I got a lot of questions right now. I got a lot of questions. Uh, I keep changing my lineup every day. And I don't know. Are you guys remotely close to, to having your lineup set and ready for Sunday? I tend to stick close to what I have when I record this podcast. I have no idea. I changed it about 15 times this afternoon as I was going through our topics. I might change it again, but... I don't know. I think I've got a very different roster from you two, and I'm waiting to get roasted. Well, I mean, it's going to be tough to roast somebody because I don't think there's a wrong strategy. Like, this is the most bizarre week that you can find. You have so such a small pool to choose from, and you've got such a tiny salary cap, and you've got massive salaries. I mean, you're talking about you're talking about some of these players that are going to be more than a third of your salary in any given week. So if you wanted to go with Dane Evans, you're probably going to have to go bargain basement the rest of the way. If you want to have a defense, you're probably going to have to have a couple of money pick range type players. If you want to have one of Banks or Addison, um, you're, you're probably not going to leave yourself with a number of other options. And then what about what about the deliberate strategy? of potentially leaving one or multiple spots on your roster open. I I don't think anything is crazy right now. So it would be like, 
yeah, I think sometimes you leave yourself open to be roasted if you have a weird lineup if, if we're in week 12. But when we're talking about the, the 24th weekend of the year and we're talking about the final game of the year, I think, I think everything is on the table as to what's a legitimate strategy here. I'll take it easy on Hannah. I'd like to roast Pat if I ever get the chance. I, I won't turn that down. You mean, uh, uh, you mean regular season he... champion, Pat? <laughs> exactly. Especially after the way Pat uh, beat me out on the last week for the regular season title. Uh, but but uh, we'll see what happens because right now I'm number one and, and we'll, we'll catch up on the standings. Pat's number two and it's close between us and Hannah's number three. And anything can happen. Uh, we, we've seen pretty large discrepancies before. And if the three of us have different rosters in this final week, who knows what happens? Let's set the scene for you. Pat, Hannah, they're, they're both in Calgary, as they mm-hmm. always are. Uh, I'm in Calgary this week. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if this is just a me thing. But clear this up for me because uh, my I don't know my feelings towards Calgary have changed so far this week. And I'm actually enjoying it a lot. Not that I never disliked Calgary. Tread carefully just, here, uh, young man. <laughs> It's been different. No, it's it's been different. And flying into Calgary, uh, there was a, a Chinook wind, a Chinook, I guess, as people call it. And they warned us about this on the plane. They said, it's going to be a bumpy ride. Well, the ride wasn't that bumpy, but it was beautiful. And I was coming from Regina on Monday, which was kind of cold. But it was like nine degrees in Calgary. You fly in, beautiful sunny day, see the mountains. I'm walking around the streets in a sweatshirt like it's I was loving it. Now it gets cold, the snow comes, not even cold, but it snows. Uh there's a big storm on Tuesday, whatever, but it's I can't even complain because it's beautiful. I mean, it is like a snow globe. It's like being in a fairy tale. And I don't know what what we don't get this in Toronto, but there's snow on all the trees and it just stays on the trees. Like I don't know if it's just because it's a like a damp snow and it's not it doesn't fly off the tree. It's just everything looks incredible. It looks like a postcard. I mean, is this common here? Is it always like this? This is uh, this is a early Calgary winter. Now, you're lucky that uh, you're not here, oh, you know, right in the middle of January when we get hit with like uh, a week and a half straight of minus 29. But this is, uh, yeah, this is typical November weather in Calgary. You get a nice uh, nice dusting of snow. It was, that was more than a dusting, but that's, uh, that's that was good powder snow. Like it was, uh, th- this is, we, we get, we get some, and the best part about winter in Calgary is that it's always sunny. So even if it is blistering cold, you can always see the sun and pretend that the sun is making you warm. I will say this was the prettiest snowfall of the half dozen we've had so far this this fall. Uh, and Jeff, you're about to get the warm weather. It's supposed to be six or seven for the rest of the week. So you came at the right time. Well, that's the funny thing, because as we talk about fantasy and, and the game on Sunday and Great Cup, and I read that it was supposed to be two degrees uh, and sunny uh, with a high of two degrees on Sunday. Well, someone else told me, well, that's for the that's for the airport at McMahon. It could be like eight or nine or 10 degrees or something. I'm thinking, wait a minute, you can have a six or seven or eight degree difference between the airport and McMahon? Like, is that a thing? doesn't make any sense. It is absolutely a thing. And you can have uh, the weather varies so differently from 
uh, region to region in this city, the proximity you are to the mountains, how much of a cover you've got from the mountains, how close you are to the river, uh, how far south you are. Like Calgary is the definition of urban sprawl. It, it uh, sprawls out over a huge, huge area. And oh yeah, you could you could be talking about below zero in the southwest, and you could be talking about six above in the northwest. It uh, large variances here. Welcome, welcome to Calgary, my friend. Well, I, I think it's cool. I like it. Let's be honest. And uh, also, I still like Toronto. Hannah's been here for like six weeks. So <laughs> Yeah, I can't answer any questions about what's typical. Hannah, I feel like <laughs> Hannah's already embracing being a Calgarian. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm trying. I haven't seen much. Tread go carefully, explore. young man. All right. Well, I miss, I miss Toronto still. I feel a little landlocked here, but I do like the mountains. I, I do enjoy the mountains, and I am fully embracing them. Uh, great Cup week in Calgary. Going to be a lot of fun. Two teams, uh, the two longest Grey Cup droughts. So that's another really interesting thing between uh, two championship-starved uh, fan bases. One of them, uh, you know, nudge, nudge, mm. we know that Hannah's uh, secretly, not so secretly, pulling for. Uh, but first, well, Hannah, why don't you just catch us up here? Uh, because playoff fantasy, a little different from the norm. Uh, what are we looking at this week going into the final week of, of fantasy? Yeah, playoff fantasy, a little bit different, a little bit more difficult. Just five roster spots. You've got quarterback, running back, wide receiver, flex, and D. So just the five. And instead of your $40,000 salary, you only have $30,000 to work with. So that can make things pretty tight if you want. For example, a Brandon Banks on your roster who takes up half of that salary cap. Yeah, and that, that was kind of the weird thing that we talked about before this as we sort of jumped into what our lineups might look like. And I really want Brandon Banks on my team because he's obviously the best player in fantasy this week. But if you have uh, a player at $14,000 taking up a, a, almost half your cap, like $1,000 shy of your, your total cap, um, that makes things really challenging to put your roster together. And we talked about this last week, but I'm, I'm almost toying with going with a roster with just Brandon Banks and, and Dane Evans and then uh, one or two other guys and no defense. But, but we, did, we did figure out a way. We, we put the math. We did the math. We put some guys in and out. We figured out a way to start Brandon Banks and still have five guys in our lineups. Didn't we? What, did we, what did we learn? Your options are very, very slim if you want to fill every <laughs> roster spot and have Banks. It means you're taking... A backup quarterback, it means you're taking the cheapest running back available, a $2,500 flex, and a defense. You don't, you don't have to you take... You really don't have a lot of options to play with. You don't have to take a backup quarterback. You can take Caleros, but that means you can't take the Hamilton D. You'd have to take the Winnipeg D. So there's, gotcha. there's, there's, only, there's only like certain permutations that work if you want to have Banks and fill all five spots on your roster. And yet I'm thinking, like right now, my roster has Banks, Addison, and Streveler. I'm just like, I, I'm, I'm very tempted to do that because if you could get... <laughs> just think about it. Though while you laugh at me, um, just think about it. Like if Stre- what, what if Streveler? What if this is a what if this is a thirty-five twenty-eight game and Streveler gets two rushing touchdowns, Banks gets two receiving touchdowns, Addison goes for one forty and a touchdown. Like that that could be better than any other possible permutation that you can come up with. Uh, I'm not saying that's exactly that's not how an it's impossible situation. You're right. So that's why I'm like I, I don't think anything's crazy this week. Hey, I mean I'm pretty sure we had a week where. 
Brandon Banks hit over 40 fantasy points this year. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure I was right around 40, I think under 40 fantasy points uh, for my whole team last week. So, yeah, <laughs> if you if you hit on the right three guys, if your lineup's only three players and you hit on the three that are the best, I mean, it's it'll work out for you. There's no doubt about it. It's just, uh, I don't know, it's risky, but... I mean, at this point, you're taking a risk no matter what you do. You're taking a risk. Brandon Banks is so good, you're taking a risk just by leaving him off your roster at this point, aren't you? So To be fair, it's it's one for the road, right? Like, you're not taking any of this salary with you. It's go big or go home this it's week. True. And I just can't. Go go I just can't see how Banks, regardless of what the result is, I just can't see how in a game like this, knowing how things went the last time Banks was in a Grey Cup, how he's not a massive impact maker. How he's not one of the guys that we're talking about in the fourth quarter as an MVP candidate, whether the the Tie Cats win or not. I can't see how he doesn't insert himself in a big way in this game. And that's why I I think it's a good way of putting it, Jeff. Like, okay, you're taking a risk by having him in there and and only maybe having to leave some spots on your roster blank. But does that outweigh the risk of not having him in your lineup, period? Like, it's a a fascinating conversation. All right. Well, let's let's continue. We've got a show here. We've got a real good show here. Uh, So, Pat, why don't you tee us up on, on what we can expect as we get ready for the 107th Grey Cup presented by Shaw. So the 107th Grey Cup matchup presented by Shaw is the Bombers and the Ticats. We've got a ton to talk about, all kinds of topics. Uh, we'll have some fun with some prediction. Uh, we will take a look at some fantasy winners and losers. We've got a great quarterback matchup, Dane Evans and Zach Caleros. We've got some tough choices at running back. Andrew Harris, pricey. Anthony Coombs, not so pricey. There is a lot to talk about when it comes to your lineup decisions for Grey Cup weekend. And it starts at the top. At the quarterback position, I don't know about you guys. That's where I start with my lineup. I think, who do I want throwing the ball for me? And last week, it didn't really mean anything because all of the quarterbacks were pretty much within a, a three-point uh, radius. And if you went with Zach Caleros, you were probably the big winner because he was the cheapest out, out of out of the the four starters last week. Uh, I did not. I went with Trevor Harris, who was the most expensive, and uh, didn't really get me ahead of anyone. Zach Caleros proven a lot of people wrong, uh, including myself to some degree. I mean, I, I thought, oh, Zach, he could be a safe, uh, cheap bargain buy. But it, I go beyond just the production, beyond just the numbers. To me, he looks really good. He, he's been attacking downfield, uh, going vertical. Big games from Darvin Adams that we haven't seen all year. Uh, almost 200 yards over the last two games for Darvin. It, it looks like a different Winnipeg offense uh, that we just couldn't have dreamed of earlier in the season when they were just so run heavy. Here's the question with Zach off the top. I mean, are are the Bombers where they are right now in the Grey Cup, having won two games on the road uh, without Zach Caleros? Is is he the answer at quarterback that this team's uh, been looking, looking for and that nobody believed the Bombers really had? I'd, I'd say so. They wouldn't be here right now if they hadn't gone out and picked up Zach. It was pretty clear that Strebler wasn't about to win two playoff games on the road, and it was especially clear when he was hurt in Week 19 and could barely run. So without him in there... Without a starting quarterback, of course they're not there. I I would argue that he's not the biggest key 
to their success in the last two games, but uh, for sure, without him, they're nowhere close. Well, and I mean, the the fact that he what what he did is come in and stabilize things in a spot where they were pretty unstable, and and Streveler. I don't think was going to be able to be steady enough and make plays under intense pressure the way that he would need to in a playoff game. I think Caleros was very much that guy. I don't know, like, I still think the Bombers could have been here if Matt Nichols was still healthy, uh, but Nichols got hurt and he was done for the year. But once Nichols went down, they had a big decision to make, and and that was an important trade they made on deadline day to go out and give themselves another option. And once he was good to go and once he was recovered fully from that concussion and had a little bit more of a grasp of what he was going to be and what this offense was going to be, then they gave him a shot. So, yeah, knowing the circumstances that the Bombers had to deal with this year. I don't think they are here without Zach Caleros. It's a great redemption story, and, and I'm I'm really excited to see what he can do in his first Grey Cup since 2014. What's interesting to me is, and I hear a lot of talk about this, even here in Calgary since I've touched down, it, it's surprising me to hear people talking about this being a dual quarterback thing because it's really not. I mean, they, they'll use Streveler once in a while in short yardage. And granted, against Calgary, when the uh, against uh, when they had the lead in that in that semifinal game, yeah, they started to lean on the run and they brought Streveler in a lot more. But uh, to me, this is this is Zach's show. This is Zach Caleros. He is the starter, uh, and he's going to take the majority of snaps. Streveler only had seven snaps last game, uh, so I don't know where. The, and from a fantasy perspective, this is very important. I don't know where that whole idea of this is a two quarterback system comes in because I don't think it's a whole lot uh, unlike what most teams do at the quarterback position where they have uh, their starter their main guy which is clearly now Zach and they have the number two uh, short yardage guy who they'll bring in on on some packages maybe he'll throw a pass uh, but mostly he's going to run the ball so to me there's no concern about that. The only concern that you would have from a fantasy standpoint would be Streveler scalping touchdowns from Caleros because that that would be the you know if you're if you're thinking about putting Caleros in as your starting quarterback I get it he's you know three thousand dollars cheaper than Dane Evans is so that makes a ton of sense it gives you more flexibility in your roster but you know they they get down and they're inside the ten and or inside the five I could see them giving it to Streveler and and I could see him finishing with a touchdown or two when it's all said and done but I don't think I don't think Caleros is a bad play at all um and and I think that he is one of the biggest reasons why the Bombers were able to get here let's let's remember when the Bombers started this win streak that they're on right now, it was the first game that Caleros came in. They were kind of meandering along and looked a little lost. And they had lost that first game at McMahon Stadium to Calgary. They beat the Stampeders. They beat the Stampeders. They beat the Riders. And and I, I really think that Caleros stabilized things. So he looks like a very stable quarterback getting more comfortable with the offense. And the more comfortable he gets, the more big plays he's willing to take shots at the more shots downfield he's willing to take so yeah I, I think uh, I, I think Caleros is um, is absolutely deserving of a lot of the accolades he's getting right now and I think that he's a, a really interesting play one of really 
two viable quarterback plays this week. And just as a side note, that touchdown poaching can come on either side of the ball because I had Dane Evans last week and David Watford was the guy running two touchdowns into the end zone. Watford? So that, that's, coming, uh, that's coming on both sides of the ball here. That's true. I, I mean, I remember because I had Trevor Harris and I remember thinking at one point in the first half, wow, the Ticats offense is doing great. Dane Evans is playing a great game, but his fantasy points just weren't there because yeah. – David Watford took those took those goal line touches from him, and Evans couldn't find the end zone until that incredible catch uh, by Brandon Banks, which I believe turned out to, to be his only passing touchdown uh, of the game. So yeah. it's happened to Dane Evans too. There's no doubt about it. Uh, if if the Ticats offense isn't scoring on big plays, there's a good chance that that ends up being uh, a a Watford uh, short Watford rushing touchdown. Uh, if if we have nothing else to add, let's let's move it along. And quickly, we'll look back on the division finals because not a ton of scoring, but it was about what you'd expect. The best players were the best players. Pat? Well, here's what happened in the penultimate weekend of the CFL season. If you load it up on Ticats and Eskimos, there's a pretty good chance it paid off. That was the high-scoring game. Uh, four of the top five players from the weekend played in the Eastern semifinal. Devaris Daniels, 24 points. Brandon Banks, 21 points. Braylon Addison, 20. And Dane Evans finished with 18. The one player from the West Division final who was able to breakthrough. Kyron Moore, Riders receiver cut nine passes against the Bombers. 22 points for him. He had the second highest total of the week. Of the quarterbacks, pretty close. Dane Evans led the way, followed closely by Caleros at 15.5 points. Trevor Harris at 15.4 and Cody Fajardo finished with 14.9. Just three points separating the four quarterbacks last week. Other players that were pretty good relative to their salary. Naaman Roosevelt over 15 points. Kenny Lawler at 13. Nick Dembski, another good week for him at 12.5. Corey Watson and Tavon Smith finished just under 10. And then if you uh, went in another direction, if you had these guys in your lineup, you know what I'm talking about. They were a bust. Chris Streveler, Manny Arsenault, Ricky Collins, Shaq Cooper, Marcus Thigpen all finished with less than three points on Division Final Weekend. And a quick check on our fantasy leaders. Our global leaderboard through two weeks. One week to go. We are oh so close. The finish line is in sight. Although this one's more of a sprint than a than a 22-week marathon or whatever the regular season is. 21 weeks, I guess. Uh, our global leader is uh, Asil SG. Uh, sorry if I pronounced that incorrectly, but uh, 142.9 points through two weeks. Uh, but it is a very close race as two others are within just a couple of points. So Asel SG at the top, but everything is going to come down to Sunday's Grey Cup. And congratulations to M. Peace, who had the best score of the week of the division finals at 86.3 points. That is an outstanding week, uh, led by receivers Kyron Moore and Devaris da- Daniels leading the way. And when, when your top player is getting 20 points, but you're still able to put up uh, 86 points, that's pretty good. That's a good balanced lineup. Uh, also with Zach Caleros with a solid game at quarterback for hit for for Caleros' price tag, and the Ticats defense coming through. Uh, with 12 points. So I know that there's been a pretty big movement for the no defense uh, campaign this year, but hey, they, they really helped last, last week in the biggest score of the week with a defense coming up with 12 points, so it helps. Uh, among the three of us, I'm at 103.1 to lead the pack. 
Uh, still 39 back of the global leader, so I don't think I'm going to be closing that gap uh, by, by the end of the Grey Cup when all is said and done. But I'm just trying to hold on to my top spot and maintain bragging rights uh, over Pat, who is in second, trailing just by three points uh, after a 44-point week for Pat. And Hannah still in the race, uh, down, I believe I have Thank it, at 16 points here. If you guys feel like playing just three players and I'm going to fill out my roster, <laughs> I feel okay about making up some ground. I, as long as I don't lose to Pat, I can, I can handle losing to Hannah. <laughs> I cannot handle losing to Pat a second straight time because I will, I will remember it for the rest of my life. I will be reminded for the rest of my life. Pat, is, uh, Pat, Pat, Pat will be sure to rub it in for sure. Zach versus Dane. We talked about Zach Caleros. Yeah, if you feel like going with Zach this week at quarterback, it makes a lot of sense, uh, especially if you're talking about dollars to fantasy points. Last week, uh, like I said, he would have been probably your number one choice at quarterback if you're trying to manage that salary cap uh, with only three points separating those four guys. Do you guys see a large discrepancy in this game either way? Is it better to go with Zach based on the low dollar figure, or do you see uh, a situation where Dane Evans could put up massive numbers and make it worth it for you? Through two weeks of the playoffs, not one quarterback has scored over 20 points. And and this price difference is pretty big. It's, what, $3,400? How many more points does Dane Evans have to score to make that kind of price difference worth it? I, I might be thinking about it too logically, too by the numbers, but that's why I lean Caleros in this matchup. I just don't think Dane is going to put up enough points above what Zach will put up to make his salary worth it. It's kind of that's kind of where I am right now and especially when you're talking about a $30,000 salary cap, it's it's tough it's tougher to put in almost a $10,000 quarterback like Evans and and when you uh, factor in as Hannah just talked about how David Watford was able to run has was able to run in some touchdowns and look he took he he went 4 yards and two touchdowns against the Eskimos in the West East Division final there's 12.4 points right there he only finished about five points back of where Evans was. So that's a little scary to me. And when you're talking about a discrepancy of about $3,500 between Evans and Caleros, I don't know I don't know if it's worth it. And I know that Banks and Addison are two of the most elite weapons in the CFL, and that's something that Banks has. But if those guys... If those guys turn a 50-yard gain but don't turn it into a touchdown and then Watford comes in and, and quarterback sneaks it up the gut, well, then there's six points that you're not getting from your quarterback. So it's, it's, a, little, it's a little risky, and I would, I'd rather have quarterbacks, another quarterback poaching a touchdown from a $6,300 player as opposed to a $9,700 player. So that's why I lean... Caleros in this one a little bit more. If you if you're really adamant of you know working an Addison Evans uh, stack and, and you really want to maybe go contrarian, which that probably would be, I get it. But I'm I'm a little wary of of D- Dane's point total when it's all said and done. I don't know if it's possible to go contrarian. This that's week. also a good <laughs> point. Aren't enough <laughs> yeah, options? True. I was I was going down the list and I was thinking, huh? That, you know, maybe uh, maybe Nikolai Kalinich. Maybe. Can you go with like two defenses? Last, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the two defense approach. Put a defense in the flex. I don't think that's allowed. But um, yeah, it it really is tough. I like Dane Evans this week. I think he has enough of an edge over Zach. 
uh, for me. And it's less to do with Zach. I think Zach will have a good game, and I love the way Zach's been playing. But I think there's a I think there's a good opportunity for Dane Evans here in an offense um, that's facing a Bombers defense that doesn't give anything up on the run, uh, anything on the ground, uh, and opposing offenses just aren't aren't running against Winnipeg quarter of the time so you're talking about three quarters of the time they're putting the ball in the air uh the Ticats offense likes to throw it they're the best in the league at hitting on those big plays of 30 plus yards they had 31 of them a league high uh the Bombers gave up a lot of them during the season their secondary has been fine but they're still giving up those chunk plays I see a lot of opportunities for Dane Evans to hit on those long ones uh to Braylon Addison and to Brandon Banks so I know it's expensive. I know it prohibits my ability to build a full roster. But I think the move for me this week is to go with Dane Evans and, and Brandon Banks. And then uh, what, I, what, I, what I, I can't even speak anymore. Whatever else I can put around them, uh, I think that's what I go with. In case you were wondering, and you can check out the full projections at cfl.ca from Daily Roto. They give us the projections each week. Uh, our guy, Ben Kramer, puts them together. And the quarterbacks, he's got Dane Evans at 22 points and Zach Kolaros at 14. So it's a sizable gap, uh, 22 points, 14 points, an eight-point gap. Uh, Hannah, you talked about how many points would Dane Evans need to make him worth the extra, what, $3,400? If those numbers came to fruition, would you be comfortable with spending the extra money on Dane Evans? I think I'd still go Kolaros. I think it still leaves more flexibility in the rest of the roster. I think Dane Evans really handcuffs your ability to fill out an entire roster. So I think at an eight-point difference, $3,400, you're looking at what, like one and a half points per thousand? I think I'm still going Caleros. Okay. And if and behind those two, uh, you have Chris Strevler projected for seven points, David Watford projected for six points. Now, the running backs, here's where it gets interesting. Here's where it gets really interesting and really difficult because if you're going with Andrew Harris on your team, he is by far the most expensive running back. You're going to have a lot of issues elsewhere trying to fill out your roster. It's almost the same conundrum as trying to have Brandon Banks on your roster. Andrew Harris projected at 18 points. After that, though, things get dicey. And if you're not going with Andrew Harris, then I think there's the question of whether you go with a running back at all because on the Hamilton side of things, you – you're not getting much against the Bombers' run defense, right? I mean, we've all come to accept that. We've all avoided Bombers' opponents at running back all year. You have Cameron Marshall here projected at 8.5 points. That could be Tyrell Sutton, by the way. He took first-team reps uh, at practice on Wednesday. Uh, so it could be Marshall, could be Sutton, but still a sizable gap. Uh, and then you have Anthony Coombs, who's the cheap option, uh, generally lines up as a receiver these days. Doesn't see, see the field a ton, but he seems to be part of the game plan. Uh, he's projected at three points. So, I mean, Pat Hanna, this is a conundrum here at running back. It really is, because I, I don't know what to do uh, in, in a lot of scenarios for me. I'm leaving that spot blank. Where do you guys go with that position right now? It's just a bit of an exaggeration saying that Andrew Harris handcuffs your lineup as much as Brandon Banks. One is 14000 One is 8500 Andrew Harris is a very reasonable price right now at $8,500. He's not anywhere near his season high price of eleven seven. I was actually pleasantly surprised at how easily I could get him in a lineup, especially with Zach Caleros at quarterback. Now, Harris did combine for 
uh, what six point nine points in the uh, in the yeah. West Division final. Um, so that is a little bit of a risk. But the way you get Harrison is if you go heavy on Bombers players. If you go take a look at the salaries and do the comparison of the top players on either side, aside from Harris, who's the highest value or, or highest priced rather running back, like the, the better value is on the Bombers side of things. Uh, Adams is significantly less expensive than the two top receivers on the... Uh, even the three top receivers almost on the Hamilton side of things. Uh, you know, you've got some other pretty decently priced players from Lawler to Wolitarski to Dembski. If you, if you go heavy on a Bombers lineup, like something else that I'm experimenting right with right now, you can go Caleros, Harris, Adams, and still easily get the Bombers defense and have plenty of money left over, almost $4,000 left over for a flex. So you, I, I do think that Harris handcuffs you a whole lot less, especially if you go with a hard Bombers stack in this game. Okay, well, obviously a little bit of an exaggeration there on my part. You're right. <laughs> and I, I guess it's just that I want one of those two big-name catch receivers on my team, and that is pretty much impossible to do if I'm taking yes. Andrew Harris. It's, it's having to make a choice between uh, having the best running back or having one of the two best receivers. You can't really do both unless – unless you're leaving blank spaces on your roster. Uh, so the running back conundrum still exists. Uh, but yeah, you're right. And I could see a lot of people going uh, and rolling with Andrew Harris just based off the fact that, um, I don't know, the other options, are they're tough. Are you guys looking at, at, at either of those Hamilton guys, whoever ends up starting, whether it's Sutton or, or Cam Marshall uh, or possibly a Malik Irons, if he's the second guy, if he's the number two guy there? Well, my my first crack at this rundown and putting a lineup together, my thinking was spend as little as possible at running back because none of the options are good. And then, yeah, I moved on to that. Well, maybe this is a week where leaving the running back spot empty is the best choice. That could turn out to mathematically be the best choice. Um, But as I went through, I switched my strategy. I currently have Andrew Harris in my lineup. You convinced yourself. He's in I my. Did. He's in my second go around of the lineup too. Um, I, I'm kind of kind of torn between a couple of different strategies, but the one that I'm looking at on my screen this very instant uh, instant does have Harris on it. All right, let's continue with the projections. Now, here's the tough part again: uh, the receivers. And we talked about Brandon Banks, who's slipping on the ownership percentage he's slipping he's dropped lower uh, than he was last week lower than I thought but he is easily the number one ranked receiver as far as projections go at 25 points that is higher than any quarterback Um, seven more points than Andrew Harris is projected for Uh, so Brandon Banks I mean I I'm big on this I I want the best player in the game and I think that's given me a huge advantage Uh, I'm really big on Brandon Banks this week Uh, behind Brandon Banks at a pretty good distance behind is Braylon Addison, just under 20 points. Uh, you have Darvin Adams, who's uh, coming off two very good games in a row at 12 points. Uh, Luke Tasker, 11 points. Only four of those receivers projected for double digits. Uh, and then you have a couple of sleepers who I think are, are in that price range uh, where you could think about taking them, and they're capable of big games. Uh, Jalen Acklin and Kenny Lawler. So uh, add in Rasheed Bailey, add in Nick Dembski. Uh, a returner in Janarian Grant, who is really boomer bust, but also quite cheap. Uh, and then at the bottom of the list, you have Drew Wolitarski and Mike Jones, both players 
Those are the only two that I would probably strongly recommend not picking just based off the fact that their production has been so spotty of late. We're talking about Drew Walitarski and Mike Jones. They just haven't done enough of late. Uh, looking at the projections, what stands out for you guys, Pat and Hannah? That distance between the top two Hamilton receivers and the first Winnipeg receiver and Darvin Adams, that's big. That's hard to ignore. It does make me want to put one of those guys in my lineup because I don't currently have Banks or Addison. But, man, it's just so tough. You, you've you got to leave something empty if you want one of those guys. The one maybe that, not one, but the you one certainly that maybe, can't fit both. The one that maybe jumps out to me is the fact that Adams is projected at just 12 points. And, you know, if you get 12 for a guy who's coming in at under $6,700, I don't think you're mad at it. But I just... I feel like Zach Caleros realizes that Adams is his number one receiving threat. And if he can, I think they're going to try to stretch the field a couple of times. Like if it's there, I don't think Caleros will hesitate to go downfield to Adams. And he still, I know that his numbers this season may not be as impressive as we've seen in the past, but I, I, this guy is, has got the ability to be one of the game breakers and to have one of the game breakers at $6,600, I'm okay with that. So he's projected at 12. I think he could easily get into the 20-plus ranks in this game just because he's that type of talented a player. And I, I get that more goes into projections than just what a guy's capable of, but if you're talking about a one-game situation like a Grey Cup, yeah, I, I almost I almost look at that and say, oh, 12 points for Darvin Adams. I could I could easily see scenarios where he goes well over that. Okay. Let's look back on the last time these teams played because I think that's going to give us the best indication, uh, if there's anything to take from it, of what we might see between these two teams on Sunday. We're talking about the two highest-scoring offenses in the CFL, and you don't, you don't think that way when you think about the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, but they've been so dominant on the ground. Uh, easily the best rushing team in the CFL, close to 150 yards per game that they've just been able to control games and put up a ton of points. Ticats have done it in a different way. They've done it through the air. Uh, Brandon Banks and Braylon Addison leading the league in yards after the catch, averaging a very high number of their yardage after the catch. So you're seeing a lot of short passes uh, with them just making magic in open space. And it was the last time these teams played that Hamilton went into Winnipeg and Dana Evans put up 300-plus passing yards in the first half alone. Unbelievable. We saw the Ticats do there. Look, we know what they're capable of, but this is the Grey Cup. Things can change. Uh, do we see any kind of repeat of that? Does that is that on your mind going into this? It's less on my mind going into this only because the, you know, Caleros is there and, and that's changed things a little bit for this team. And I think that because Caleros has helped stabilize things and I think that has helped stabilize what the Bombers are defensively, uh, I, I think that this is something that maybe I don't have as, I, I don't have as much of a harbinger for things to come as I would if, if somehow Streveler was the guy and they were there. So, yeah, I, I think with with. Calero stabilizing things and with how that has really allowed the defense to take things back over for the Bombers, maybe some of those totals I don't put as much stock into as, as I would have otherwise. And I wouldn't be sleeping on this Winnipeg defense. I think they deserve a lot of credit for where they are right now. They slowed down a Bo Levi Mitchell that looked unstoppable. They held Fajardo and the Riders out of the end zone. 
And you talk about the Bombers being one of the highest scoring teams in the league. They've got six touchdowns on defense. They're scoring points on defense. They've got a lot of takeaways. They can cause a lot of problems for quarterbacks. I think they're playing really good football right now. So I don't think Hamilton's going to have the easiest time against this Winnipeg defense. The Bombers offense also looks really different than the last time these two teams played because of that uh, Caleros addition. And for a team that used to be a, a short yardage, one to nine yard range team in the passing game, they're now stretching the field. Caleros has given them that new look. So are you surprised by how drastically their offense changed once Calero stepped in? I'm a little surprised just because we hadn't seen Caleros in so long and to see him taking shots down the field so early in his tenure with the Bombers. Yeah, that's a little that's a little surprising, but Jeff is as you mentioned, he looks good doing it and it works and he's been able to stretch the field a little bit more than I thought he would and and that's why I look at some of these Bombers receivers and how they're priced and I look at them as really interesting options. So, yeah, am I a little surprised by it? Sure I am. But am I impressed? Yeah, and I think it's legit. The guy the guy looks confident, and I think as the weeks have passed in the three weeks that he's started, that Mike O'Shea and that Bombers team have been okay with letting the, the reins a little looser, a little looser each time to, to give him more freedom to potentially make some of those big plays happen. I thought that was pretty cool, what he did against the Riders. I mean, that, you're talking about probably, talent-wise, the best secondary in the CFL. Those guys are athletes. And that's a Chris Jones-built defense. Uh, now Jason Shivers is running it, a Chris Jones protege. But he basically said, I'm not scared of these guys. He went after them. I thought that was awesome. And I think, uh, I, I do think it adds a whole new dynamic to that Bombers attack because – Teams can't just focus on Andrew Harris anymore. You can't just stack the box and say, well, if we stop Andrew Harris from running, if we stop, if we stop Chris Trevler from running, we're going to win the game. No, that's not how it works anymore. And, I mean, it's, it's refreshing to see because it's so exciting to watch, but it also makes them so dangerous in, in every aspect. And I think it's going to open up more for Andrew Harris as well. So, yeah, I'm surprised by this development, but uh, I'm kind of expecting it on Sunday now. They, they need to – it's balance, right? And a little bit swinging the pendulum the other way to where all of a sudden the Bombers could be a really dangerous team through the air. All right, we're inching towards Sunday. We're slow – depending on when you're listening, we're slowly getting there. The anticipation is building up. Uh, I'm on my, I don't know, 100th rendition of a roster. What's <laughs> everyone else doing? What are the pick trends? We got them here. We got the pick trends. Who are the popular players? This so as we are recording on a Wednesday evening, uh, Dane Evans is the most selected player right now, followed by a pretty jammed up pack after that. Evans got a little bit of a cushion, uh, but then Cameron Marshall at running back and Hamilton would be next. Andrew Harris, uh, Braylon Addison, uh, and Zach Caleros all within a really, really um, – pretty compact group of most selected players that's the top five and then just on the outside looking in is Darvin Adams uh, as the first Winnipeg receiver to make it into that group so Dane Evans is the most selected player um, and he's followed by Cameron Marshall so a couple of Tiger Cats are the most selected although you uh, you're cautioning that maybe maybe we're talking about Terrell Sutton getting the start at running back for the Tiger Cats so I wonder how that changes as the depth chart start to become available here 
Yeah, and I, I don't know if it changes much as far as messing up your lineup because I guess if you have Cam Marshall and they go with Tyrell Sutton, they're similarly priced. You should be able to switch them. But uh, I, I am surprised that, that a Ticat starting running back is the number two uh, most chosen player because I think it's going to be really tough uh, running against the Bombers and the Ticats. They haven't had a ton of production from their backs this year. That's just the way it's gone. Ever since Sean Thomas Erlington uh, got injured, he was a, he was a fantasy star earlier in the year. But the Ticats just haven't they haven't had a, a reliable fantasy running back. So uh, I don't know if I'm ready to commit to that this week. Hannah, what are your thoughts on the early pick trends? What do you like? What don't you like? Uh, I I think I'm surprised at how few people have selected Brandon Banks so far. I know. I know the salary's an issue, but when you come down to this one-week boomer bust, he is the ultimate boomer bust player at that salary. So, yeah, he's been selected about the same number of times as Anthony Coombs at this point. Uh, Eighth on that overall list, but well behind top receivers of Addison, Adams, and Dembski. I thought Banks would be higher. Coombs is interesting to me because he's a cheap running back option who also happens to play receiver. So you get a couple of catches from Anthony Coombs and, and he could really pay off for you at a tough position to fill. Uh, the other ones that I'm interested in that are picked a little bit less, uh, Nick Dembski and, and Jalen Acklin. Uh, those are two, uh, you know, they're not cheap, but they're two sleepers for me. Uh, but hey, it, it all depends on what you're doing at the top of your lineup as well because if you've got guys like Brandon Banks in there, it's going to be really really difficult to start thinking about uh, those sort of middle-tier guys, uh, whether it's an Acklin or, or a Dembski or even a Kenny Lawler. Uh, let's move forward with the Leo Vegas odds because this is where it gets fun. Leo Vegas puts out the odds. Uh, RCFL Simulator has the Bombers as the favorite to win, which is a shock to me. Uh, Leo Vegas has the Ticats as a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, over under at 52 and a half points. Uh, first of all, that three and a half point line. Uh, did you guys see this game being within a touchdown either way? Is this a close one or is there the potential for one of these two teams to run away with it? I see it as being really close. I, I see this being a very, very uh, tight game. And, and I don't think, I don't think, like, I know there's a lot of people who look at this Tiger Cats team and, and see them at 15 and three and see them roll over the Eskimos in the East final and say, well, these guys look invincible and they are an extremely good football team and they have very few weaknesses. I just, I just think that this Bombers team is a little bit closer to them overall, knowing what they've been able to accomplish the last three weeks. So I look at, and I see a very, very even game at this stage. Um, so, yeah, I think three and a half points, that's that's probably a nice range for it to be in for a spread. These odds are where I stop being able to think logically and I start thinking a little bit emotionally and I'm not great at Ooh. this. I am I am a pessimistic sports fan, but I do see a close game. I, I don't think anybody's running away with this one. Um, I, and I also see the under at 52 and a half. Both of the Western playoff games were under that number. Both of the Eastern playoff games were above that number. I I think we're leaning to a more Western-style game. Lower scoring, tight scoring. Okay, the three-minute warning is right around the corner, but just before then, a couple of questions. Uh, Rapid-fire style. One popular player that you are definitely staying away from this week. What do you guys got? 
We talked about the Ticats running backs. I'm not crazy about them this week, although I do like Tyrell Sutton if he gets into the lineup, but, man, it's just a tough matchup. Uh, One player that I'm just not really considering, and I loved him earlier in the year, but uh, it's Braylon Addison. And his price tag, uh, I'd almost rather go with a Darvin Adams or a Jalen Acklin or even a Nick Dembski. Uh, I just don't see... Braylon Addison living up to his current salary. Uh, ever since the return of Luke Tasker, he hasn't quite been targeted uh, as often. We're not seeing those double-digit targets like we were earlier in the year. Uh, last week, seven catches, buck 30. You like that. Uh, hasn't found the end zone, though, in four straight games. And I'd say either just pay the extra $4,000 and get Brandon Banks or go back the other way and get a Jalen Acklin. Uh, Just a one-point difference between Banks and Addison last week, despite the $4,000 price difference. I was happy to have Addison taking, on my roster. If you're taking a, taking a four-week sample, though, you're, you're looking at Banks outperforming Addison by a pretty wide margin, and, and I would expect that to happen on Sunday. Just my hunch, but I think Brandon Banks is a much safer bet than Braylon Addison, and I'd be willing to make sacrifices elsewhere in my lineup to get that done. Just my thoughts. I... I would stay away from Tiger Cats running backs right now. I, I know Marshall's the second most selected player right now, and, and we'll see if he's even on top of the depth chart when it's all said and done. Coombs is in your top 10 area right now. I just, what's going to change about the Bombers' defense and how they stop the run in the Grey Cup? I, I just don't, I don't know if we should expect all of what we've seen this year to go by the wayside. I, I've been avoiding running backs against the Bombers all year, so why would I, uh, why would I change now? So if it's Marshall, even if it's Sutton, I, just, I, I don't love those picks because of how good the Bombers are on the other side. Well, we've reached our three-minute warning, and because there are so few players to pick from, we're not going to do our money picks because everything is up in the air and we are going through 15 versions of rosters. We're not doing a lock this week. We're going to skip straight to some Grey Cup predictions. So... We need a final prediction, starting with the Grey Cup winner and the score. Uh, I'm going with Hamilton. I think that Hamilton beats that spread. I think Hamilton covers. And, hey, 15-3. and three. Uh, Yeah, Zach Caleros has been a nice equalizer for Winnipeg. But I'm going with a 40-25 to 25 Hamilton victory. I think that offense uh, goes in and takes care of business from start to finish. Big day for the Ticats offense. 40-25 to 25 Ticats is my great cup prediction. I can see some uh I can see some points in this one but not quite to that extent. Uh I think I'm taking the under as well. I'm looking at something like 24-21 somewhere in that range and I've got Winnipeg. I just I I still don't think this Bombers team is getting enough respect even in this game. Um I take a look at all the players that are up for awards with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I take a look at how good this regular season went. I take a look at how they rolled in the East Division final. I just, I, I think that right now the Bombers are getting undervalued a little bit. I think that they are in the same conversation with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I think defensively they are elite and have the opportunity to win the game with that facet of their game single-handedly. So I think it's a low-scoring game. I'm going to go Winnipeg wins 24-21. Oh boy. Um, Here we go. For weeks I've been saying that the uh, Bombers would not win another game. Weeks. It's probably been four or five around the office because everybody keeps asking me. But no, I'm going to pick the Bombers here. 
I think that it's an incredibly tight game. I think I lose several years of my life watching it. And I think it's decided by three points or less. I'm thinking like a 28-27 or 24-23 kind of deal. But I think I think Winnipeg snaps that 29-year drought. Second prediction, MVP, most valuable player. Dane Evans is mine. Uh, I, I'm looking for a 400-plus yard game from him. I said the Ticats are going to put up 40 points, so I, I don't think that happens without Dane Evans being the MVP of the Great Cup. Welcome to the big show, Dane Evans. You are ready to become a star. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go with Darvin Adams. All this guy has done since uh, Zach Caleros has taken over, and all this guy has done in the playoffs is make big plays. So why is that gonna change now? He had a 63 yard reception in the West Division final. He had that huge reception for a touchdown against the Stampeders. I'm gonna say Darvin Adams goes over 100 yards and a couple of touchdowns. He is your Grey Cup MVP. And I'm gonna say the. Uh... Zach Caleros redemption tour finally comes full circle and the storyline is is too tempting for him not to win MVP. So I'll go Zach Caleros. What about uh most valuable Canadian? Tunde. Tunde. You know the, the feel the Tunde. Lightning. Okay, I'll stop. Imagine Dragons. Tunde Adelike. <laughs> All right. Next. You're not going to give uh, an explanation? I thought this, I thought this is rapid fire, oh, Pat. Okay, sorry. It's rapid fire. Rapid fire. Tunde, rapid fire. Andrew Harris. Well, I didn't know it was going to be that rapid fire. You said, you said <laughs> rapid fire, so then I go rapid you fire. Rapid and then you're like, oh, that's too rapid. Got to be ready. Come on. I mean, I mean, Jeff had some song and dance to his, at least. What's your song and dance? <laughs> I, I don't have a song and dance for this. Andrew Harris as well, but I think uh, most of his yards will have to come through the air and not the ground. And finally, which player scores the first touchdown? Jalen Acklin. I'm going off the board with this one. Jalen Acklin. Look for him. He's going to be uh, – he's a beauty. He's a good receiver, and I think he starts this game off fast for the Ticats. Chris Streveler on a one-yard quarterback sneak gets your first touchdown of the game. That's Ooh. that's funny. I had Strebler or Watford. I I thought that it would be a QB sneak as the first touchdown of the game as well. I think that's it for us. Well, friends. That's it, friends. That'll do it. I am virtually waving. Uh, thank you to everybody for tuning in. I know that we've got some uh, very avid and regular listeners that we uh, see on Twitter all the time. Uh, thanks for listening all year long to the CFL Fantasy Podcast. We talked about projections. Head on over to CFL.ca, Daily Roto. They got you all the numbers you need, rankings, uh, start and sit advice, getting you ready for the Grey Cup. Also, CFL.ca, tons of coverage on the big game this week. We're at all the practices, all the press conferences, uh, all the awards, everything fun. Uh, we are there covering it in person. So head on over to CFL.ca and, and uh, get ready for the big game. Hope hope everybody's got some fun plans and, uh, and uh, ready to make it a big party because it's basically a national holiday. It's the biggest day of the year. I know I'm fired up for it. I'm feeling nervous for the Grey Cup, and I don't even have a horse in this race. Hannah, you must be nervous. Your, your stomach must be doing backflips right now because your team is looking to end 
a really long Grey Cup trip. Are you, are you nervous for this game? You picked the Bombers. You took the Bombers as your pick. You feeling the you feeling the heat? Are you feeling nervous right now? Uh, yeah. I I remember the last Grey Cup loss like it was yesterday. That one is burned into my mind, and I don't remember the last Grey Cup win because I was not alive yet. It has been that long, so there are nerves. I'm going to just try to not think about it until kickoff. Uh, but you guys should think about it because you have to remember to get your lineups in. Kickoff is at 6 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Mountain. You can watch on TSN, RDS, and the game is also available on ESPN2 for our friends to the south. All right, on Twitter, Jeff's at Jeff Creever, Hannah's at HL Nordman, I'm at Fan960 Steinberg. That'll do it for the final edition of 2019 of the CFL Fantasy Podcast, presented by our friends at Leo Vegas, the 107th Grey Cup, 1991 and 1999, the last time these teams won Grey Cups. Who is going to break that long drought? We'll find out on Sunday. Good luck. Let's see who the winner is, and thanks for being along with us all season long.